What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, we're back on the full ride on the Chase Thomas podcast. It is a gloomy Thursday morning here in Knoxville, Tennessee. Down there in Decula, Georgia, is Matt Green, fellow University of North Georgia alumni. How is uh How is everything in Dacula, Matt Green? It is uh, it is gloomy as well in in Decula, Georgia, uh, this afternoon. But uh, you know, it is what it is. House Falcon I'm, uh, Nation. Not, com- not complaining. Falcon Nation. It's uh, it's good. I saw they just came out with the uh, the Corky Kill schedule for uh, for next high school football season, and Decula will be hosting one of the uh, one of the days. So I might have to go check out some. Say what? Hosting? Are they not doing it in the stadiums anymore? Yeah, it's like a whole like week of Corky Kill. It's what? Like, games on like wednesday night thursday night friday saturday it's like it's crazy because these Getting were on thursday there's like two games on thursday that's the ones at, at tequila but yeah what that's not right trying to, trying to get those high school kids on tv i guess i don't know that's wild so it's a whole week of deborah now um did not know this uh actually he will be on uh later on this episode coach eric godfrey at parview high school uh, my alma mater uh is on this episode so I uh, did not know about the Corey Keller. I should have asked him about it. But um, yeah, that's that's interesting. Um, there's a lot of college football notes and news to get to today, Matt Green. Yes, sir. Let's, uh, let's dive right in. Um, a lot of coaching movement. Urban Meyer is currently um, revealing all of his uh, new hires for his inaugural staff down there in Jacksonville, already causing a stir. Um, you're not going to believe this. Urban Meyer causing a stir um, already, but uh, made a very interesting, and I'm using the word interesting, uh, very, um, very, how should I use this, flippantly, because he hired Chris Doyle as the director of sports performance. I don't know if you remember Doyle, who was dismissed for some really important, horrible um, stuff at Iowa. He was the head strength and conditioning coach at Iowa from 1999 to 2019. And um, I don't know if you remember all the drama going on there, but um, he was... Yeah, I remember. Yeah, so he's he's resurfaced on the staff, so probably not a good look there. So I'm going to guess that he gets... I don't know if that's going to be a permanent thing. But um, yeah, we'll see what the, the rest of that staff looks like. But right now, talk of the town. I'm sure Tequila, Georgia, when you go into... The Tequila Kroger, you go into the Tequila Sports Bar, sit outside safely, Matt Green, that uh, everyone's talking. They're like, yeah, Muschamp's cool, but what about Al Washington? What's going on with him up there in Columbus? What's he going to do? Is he going to stay in uh, Buckeye land, or is he going to make the move down to Knoxville? Um, it doesn't look like, as of this recording, at Thursday at 1.13 p.m. East Coast time, that Washington is going to get lured away. Um, Washington should be sending uh, Danny White, a very, very expensive 
uh, bread basket, a maybe a new car uh, with the money that uh, Danny White has made Al Washington in the last week because this, <laughs> uh, like he's going to get a significant pay raise uh, to stay at Ohio State, um, going from the 500s to the 1.2 million plus uh, category, um, working for Ryan Day in at Ohio State, but uh, by by all accounts, it looks like the the Vols are not going to be able to pull him in, even though he has by uh, reported from Football Scoop that uh, he had talked with high level coaches around the country of whether or not they think he could win and uh, do well in Knoxville. What do you make of the Washington drama in Knoxville? Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm not sure uh, how much how much stock necessarily put into it. I mean, he's he's only been this is what his second year at Ohio State, so. It's not like a, I don't know if he's a game changing coach, you know, not like he, he's, he's an institution. He's been there for like a decade or something, but um, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it, it's always good to be able to get a, a coach from a big time program like this, but yeah, it's looking like a, it's looking like Tennessee is going to have to keep on searching. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just weird because you have Kevin Steele, who's going to make almost a million dollars for nothing this year um in knoxville and that's strange but it's also just it's good that tennessee's willing to throw a lot of cash around that they're willing to uh pay premium dollar for a defensive coordinator for josh heupel but um it's also not surprising that uh a lot of coaches don't really want to bite at this right now like it's just a wait and see thing where they want to see what everything looks like what the sanctions look like there's just i think that's what's really harming tennessee too is like that not being out there yet just not knowing universally that this is what hap- this is where tennessee's going to be this is what they're going to lose this is all this kind of stuff but i don't think that's coming down the pike it doesn't seem like anytime soon yeah i think that's the biggest thing like i just i don't know who's jumping ship from a good situation to just come in tennessee and you just have really you don't really even know how how bad it's going to be yet so i assume this was for the defensive coordinator spot right like he wasn't He's not going to Tennessee for linebacker coach. Oh or something. no 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 no! He he's going for DC. Yes. Yeah yeah. If uh, if he goes, which is looking less and less likely. On the flip side, though, Casey Rogers' name has surfaced today, and I think this one might be a better choice. Um, I don't know if you saw the Super Bowl on Sunday, Matt Green, but Vita Vea, great year for him. Um, Jason Pierre-Paul, Shaq Barrett had ten pressures on Mahomes in that game. All on the defensive line. So the defensive line coach, Casey Rogers, a lot of experience. Uh, he is a Tennessee native. Um, current, like I said, current defensive line coach for Tampa. I would like, I actually think there's a better recipe for success there than there might be for Al Washington. Yeah, I mean, is this guy, is he going to leave Tampa? He's going to leave the NFL, like where he just had one of the best you know, defensive uh, fronts in the in the NFL to come to Tennessee for like a rebuild, though. Like, I know he he's a he's a Tennessee guy, you know, through and through. But uh, I don't know. This seems like a it seems a little a little ambitious. I think for a guy who's you know coached in the NFL for the last what 10, 15 years, um, it's just all a matter of what he wants to do, I guess. But um, I, I would be shocked if if he if he comes back to college. I don't know. Like he he went to Tennessee. Um, that's a strong pull for a lot of these coaches um, when they do go back to the college ranks. Um, 
I don't know. I, I think it's interesting. But the people who are dunking on Tennessee for the defensive coordinator, so I'm like, what do you what did you expect? This is weird. The steel stuff's weird, the the just timing is weird, the chances of success is weird. So I, I don't know. I I'm not surprised that this is taking a long time to find the right guy, but I also don't think that necessarily means that they're going to hire the wrong guy, right? Like, just because it's taking a while doesn't mean Tennessee will not end up with a quality option, I don't think. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, just the fact that these this, the first couple, you know, candidates, whatever, targets, whatever you want to call them, the fact that you're kind of starting so high, I feel like it's a good sign that, you know, Tennessee at least has, has a perception, you know, a uh, a target of, of where they're at and, and who they can, who can, who they can get. So I, uh, it's, it's still early for sure. And with how it's, it's almost like the Jeremy Pruitt hire, like that just, that, that, that set the bar so, so high or so low, however you want to look at it, that we're, we're so far from being in, in that big of a, of a cluster that anything, anything is, is better than that. So I, I don't, I don't think anyone should be, should be dunking on Tennessee. Like, like you put it, I feel like it's, it was a it's such a weird time to to fire a coach and and hire it's usually these are all happening in in December and at start of January so I uh I, I think they're still in good shape I wouldn't I wouldn't press the panic button yet by any means no not yet not yet um Jeff Levy current OC at um at Ole Miss under the Lane Train he obviously very much linked to Josh Heupel um put together an amazing offense this season uh, with Matt Coral and John Reese Plumlee and all those playmakers down there in, uh, in Oxford. But um, he is currently the favorite to get the UCF job, which is weird because UCF doesn't have a AD at the moment. Yeah, that is, that is weird. I, I feel like um, it'd be a good hire. It seems kind of consistent with what, um, with what UCF has been targeting with their last couple of coaches, you know, get that offensive minded guy and, I mean, you saw Ole Miss's offense last year. I would. It's very understandable why you'd be targeting um, a guy who's learned under Lane Kiffin. I mean, he's just he's had great, exciting offenses the last several years. Yeah, I I think this would be a good hire for them. I I think this is probably best case scenario for them. But um, yeah, we'll we'll see. I think so. Who who makes the hire? That's what I, I guess the president, <laughs> the school president, the school president. Yeah. And then you then you hire an AD, and then AD's going to bring in his guy. So I don't know. It could be a whole other situation. But UCF's had some stability in recent years, so I'm, I'm sure they'll they'll uh, they'll make the right choice. Yeah, I um I don't know about this. Um, Aloha Stadium, pour one out, Matt Green. Pour one out for Aloha Stadium. It is being condemned. Um, I don't know what this means for the future of Hawaii football, but uh, I don't like it. So I guess they, they lost the Pro Bowl every year, and now mm-hmm. this, this stadium's just going to shit, basically. Is, is, is that it? Well, their governor so what, what thinks it it's still for? usable. Like, what, what happened? So it's just, it needs, it, like, so basically it, it's overdue on repairs. Like, they need all kinds of stuff done, and it hasn't, uh, hasn't happened. And their governor is not believing that a new stadium is being built, but also this one's not usable so i don't i don't really know what this means for where hawaii is going to play for the foreseeable future i i don't understand from the looks of it it doesn't look that bad i don't i don't really know how this all works it's it's very confusing to me 
yeah, I mean, if it's some kind of like foundational issue or something, I don't, I don't know. But honestly, if Ohio, if Hawaii has to build a new stadium, it's probably for the best. Like, build like a solid like forty thousand seat stadium or something. You know, kind of like Vanderbilt or something. Like, you don't need you need a big old stadium to just be thir- a third full on your on your uh, at your home games. Whoa, 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 whoa. Well, it's when they get their next Timmy Chang, get their next <laughs> Colt Brennan, then uh, they'll be back. It'll be filled up. I mean, they have the cool. They literally have the coolest college quarterback of all time. He went to the University of Hawaii. So uh, that Colt will... Brennan's the coolest college. Co- he, I know Absolutely. his gear. I'll give you his gear. His, his visor and yeah. everything. He looks. He looked tight. But uh, I don't know if I would say the coolest uh, college quarterback of all time. I would say coolest. It. Uh, let me see here. Uh, it is my podcast, so I will hit the gavel, <laughs> and uh, he is the coolest. Um, Marshall... yeah, Devon Best is not walking through that door. <laughs> no, he's so. not. No, he's not. Um, Marshall. So, did you see Charles Huff explain what he's going to do? Um, top recruiter at Alabama. Um, they lost him to Marshall to take the head coaching job there. Um, how he described his recruiting uh, stance at Marshall. Um, I don't think I w- did see this. What what happened? Um, it's a treat, so I in- highly encourage you to watch this. But he described it to asking a girl to the prom is how he recruits. And that's how mm-hmm. he's going to recruit at Marshall is that um, he has no qualms about uh, reaching high, high, asking the the most beautiful girl at the school for for her hand at Marshall University. And most girls want to go to Marshall. Most of the creme de la creme want to go to Marshall. Like who doesn't want to live in Marshall, West Virginia? Who doesn't who doesn't want that? So I think it's a in, uh, in Huntington, 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 West Virginia. Oh well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just gonna say Marshall University in uh, West Virginia. I, I didn't know you. where it was. Huntington. I was yeah. gonna I was getting a little shout out. Yeah, Huntington. Shout out to Huntington. I'm sure it's a great, delightful place. Um I I'm very fascinated to see what he uh what he does there but i i don't know we'll we'll see but it's a very delightful explanation as to what uh what he's looking for as a recruiter and he's gonna both be realistic but that doesn't mean he's not gonna ask he's not gonna see, i feel like marshall needs to be i think that's kind of what they were in like the late 90s and randy moss was there they kind of hit the juco scene pretty strong i feel like that's what marshall needs to be because they kind of have some of that name recognition among those group of five schools like just become transfer portal you man just try to try to get all the transfers you can get that's what i well that's the florida to. florida's got that unlocked sir that's true florida florida's the the power five transfer portal they, they could be the the group of five transfer portal team but but yeah i feel like uh something like that i know west virginia there's a lot of like juco prospects i, I think there's some jucos in that area and they, they they seem to have done that over the years, but but yeah, I mean, uh, all power to this guy. Uh, reach, reach high. Did you ever see that uh, that SEC shorts? Are you familiar with those guys? Yes. The SEC short video uh, a couple years ago they did about the bowl games and the SEC teams, like mm-hmm. like it was a school dance like that. That's probably like one of the best videos they ever made. It's like one those a girl wearing a dress that says like the Birmingham Bowl or something. And, <laughs> You know, the, the all the teams kind of look the other way. They don't want to go with her and that, that kind of thing. And then it was the year Georgia won the SEC championship. So the Georgia the Georgia dude comes in, like, rocking a white suit, just thinking he's hot shit, like, dances with the girl, this college ball playoff, and then all of a sudden Alabama pops in. He's just, like, 
they didn't even win their conference championship. What is this? It was, it was like it was gold though. Just all these kind of pairing up the teams with the with the bowl games is is good stuff. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, you have some notes on Notre Dame and Florida uh, scheduling a series uh, ten years out right now. But you know what? My first thing, they listen to us, Matt. They listen to the full ride, the schedule makers, because it's not going to be a neutral site game. Thank goodness. Not going to be a neutral site game. Exactly. The uh, the full ride is is changing the the landscape of college football. They're they're finally the powers that be are finally listening to us. But uh but yeah, like we've said, this has been the trend. There was the trend of all these neutral sites and it was just terrible. It's just not what college football was about. And so I'm just glad, you know, Florida was one of those teams that was kind of cr- uh, criticized for a, a long time for basically never leaving the state of Florida for a, for a non-conference game. And now these next couple of years, I think they have a home and home with Colorado at some point. Um, I think Texas and Arizona state are on Florida's. I think Texas, I think that's uh, one of those 2030 or 2031 years. One of those years they have Florida State, or, or not always, obviously they always have Florida State. They have Arizona State, Texas, and now Notre Dame all in one of those years. So I don't know if things will get shifted around, but this is just what we need. Like, not no no disrespect to the to the group of five or the FCS schools, but this I think that's the worst part about college football is just so many of the games seem to kind of be the, those down games, and you kind of regardless of who you are, even if you're in the SEC, you're kind of circling those four or five games out of 12 on the schedule. So if we can just get more of these power five playing power five, you know, that's just, that's going to make college football great. Also, what we learned this year is that they don't really need to schedule stuff like this out. Like we learned that you can, you can do it on the fly. <laughs> that scheduling these that games is, definitely is not true. It, it's it it uh, it is unfortunate. We're gonna have to wait nine, ten years. Dan Mullen and Brian Kelly probably won't even be there at the, in twenty thirty, twenty thirty one. But it's uh it's it's still cool to uh, two major national brands playing a home and home series. Yeah, do that more. College football. This is a good thing. Do that more. And if you want attendance to start going the other way, because attendance is gradually declining. You have to drop some of these non-conference games that suck against the Alcorn States and the Tennessee Techs of the world. Um, you got to put these kind of games in the calendar. You got to do that. Um, you yeah, can't be afraid. Exactly. Um, shout out to Jaden Delora, a Washington State quarterback who um, opened the door for Jarek Garantano, Tennessee Vol legend, to be the opening day starter um, in... Uh, why am I blanking on uh not Mizzou? What is it? Kalamazoo? No, what 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 part of Wisconsin? Uh, Pullman. Washington. Pullman. That's right. Pullman, Washington. Um, I don't know why I wanted to say Kalamazoo. Maybe that's Western Michigan. Kalamazoo oh. is, yeah, that's that's Western Michigan. Okay, that's what I thought. Okay, um, yeah. So he got a DUI and has been suspended from the team. Uh, not a good look. I don't know how people are getting DUIs in a pandemic, but um, not a great look, sir. Um. But, uh, yeah, Jarek Garantano, who did transfer to uh, the Cougars. So maybe uh, maybe he gets a, a shot, a real shot, to be the guy under center in week one for Nick Rolovich. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. 
That's your boy. Maybe uh, this is the opportunity he needed. I mean, I hope he's awesome in the Pac-12. Like, that would be great. He's a good kid. I hope it, him having a great, like, swan song and Pullman would be be cool. I'm okay with it. Um, Iowa State extended Matt Campbell's deal through 2028. Maybe he's happy. Maybe he really is just never going to leave Ames. Yeah, I uh, there's something to be said for, you know, just being comfortable where you are. Matt Campbell, he's... He, he feels like a guy who's eventually going to jump for the NFL, but, you know, he's we all think that, and he just continues to stay at, at Iowa State. So uh, I, I respect it. He's he's really building – I mean, they're, they're, a, they're a legitimate – like, with how they're recruiting, like, it's it's kind of, you know, unexplainable how, how good Iowa State has been consistently for the last, you know, three or four years. Yeah, uh, this is good news for Iowa State fans. So I'm I'm glad that uh, they're going to keep Matt Campbell a little bit longer at the very least. Um, they're they're fun and they're a good top ten, top fifteen program. So he's got a good thing cooking there, and I'm not surprised that he's gonna. He's a little wary of where he's going to jump ship, and he's like, I got a good thing. I know I can win here, win enough to keep things going, and I'll wait for my right spot. Um, Clark Lee building out a really interesting forward thinking staff at Vanderbilt, I would say. Um, I've liked a lot of his hires. I like what he's doing. I like what they're doing in the department because we, we've talked about like they have to really invest a lot more in the football program if they really want to get out of the gutter of the East. Um, and Clark Lee bringing in Earl Bennett, who was obviously a great running mate with uh, Jay Cutler back in the day. Um, yeah, he is going to be the director of player development. We already know that he pulled Barton Simmons from 247 Sports to be um, at... Vanderbilt so there it, it seems like they're they're modernizing the their approach to college football and how they can make things work and his when you listen to what he talks about he's he's saying that like hey we're Vanderbilt we're not gonna get the five stars we're not gonna get the ones who are gonna be here for a year or two what we have to be is the place where we get three to six year guys where it's like we know that they're not gonna be good enough to jump to the NFL in once their eligibility is ready we have to go after the ones that we can develop, and by the time they're juniors and seniors, are ready to get us like seven and five, six and six, eight and four, those kind of years. We have to rely on our development and go after the three and two stars and make just bet on our development and know that they're going to be here for a long time and that we have four to five years to really make things work there. And that's where we'll succeed or fail is how we develop these three stars over a four-year span yeah that's exactly right and it's i you just know vanderbilt just can't play they don't have the same ammunition as as everyone else so so to hear a guy talking about how they're gonna have to do things totally different it's it's at least refreshing it sounds like the vanderbilt coach is like trying to win some games right (laughs) he's like they're trying to figure out what they can do playing you know with the with the hand they're dealt how they can be as successful as possible. So, I, uh, I, it sounds good. It's a lot, lot harder said than done, but uh, we'll, we'll see what they, we can do. I, I feel like until you see a significant facilities upgrade, I just don't know how legitimate Vanderbilt can ever be. Like, they got to get another twenty thousand people in that stadium at least, right? Like, to, to just have it not feel like a JV atmosphere. Like, they're, they're just. I guess I guess first things first, you got to create a little buzz in the program. You got to make you got to make the administration think that it's a it's a program worth investing money to, and um, 
hopefully hopefully that's what he can do because it's it's a uh, it's unfortunate how long Vanderbilt has just been the a, a laughing stock of the SEC. Like they, it's basically forever, but people forget that you know that four or five year period of James Franklin. I mean, they I think they won nine games like three years in a row. So it is possible, especially with the East kind of being as up for grabs as it currently is. Like obviously Georgia and Florida are the clear one and two, but yeah. after that, you know, there's there's not a, there's not a clear third best team in the SEC right now. Like. You know, maybe it's Kentucky. I would say it's probably Kentucky, but you know, Tennessee, Kentucky, and South Carolina have kind of all taken their turns over the last. Yeah, you know, and even Missouri, even Missouri. We should, I kind of so, we should throw Missouri because I actually think it probably. If I had to, if I had to say right now, I would say it's Missouri. That's probably a good call. I would probably pick them to be the third best team in in twenty twenty one. So, yeah. So it's it's a long way, but it's it's good to see some like some out of the box thinking because that's the only way that Vanderbilt kind of a money ball kind of strategy you know that's the only way Vanderbilt's gonna gonna get relevant absolutely absolutely um are you ready for some spring football Matt Green oh I'm ready <laughs> how how do you how do you see the swack uh unfolding with uh Alcorn oh you're out? talking about legitimate spring football no I'm not at all <laughs> ready for spring football I don't even know who's playing <laughs> Um, well, some have opted out, some have not. I'm looking at DeQuincy is playing, uh, Sacred Heart getting in there on March 21st. We got Tennessee Tech playing March 21st. We got, we got Austin P March 21st. Yeah, man. We got, uh, Spring Governors. Football. Yeah, we got them coming in. Um, McNeese State and, uh, Tarleton State. Uh, play Saturday this upcoming Saturday on Fox Sports Go at seven o'clock. I know you're gonna you're gonna be uh you're gonna be excited for that. I'm I'm, I'm guessing. Wow, so we're really not even going like one weekend without without football, huh? This is this is a genius strategy, honestly. Like people by by uh, this weekend, they're gonna be fiending for some more football. I guess. Yeah, that's why the XFL doing this spring stuff was such a brilliant move by them. Like the XFL had the pandemic not hit, I think really would have worked for years. I think it wouldn't have gone anywhere. I know it's coming back with the Rock, but like I don't think it would have disappeared. I think it would have survived. Yeah, I wonder. Well, uh, especially when you got a big time talents like what Ty- Tyler Heineke, right? Mm-hmm. Talents- the yeah so uh if you can get some good players you know there's 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 a lot of good players to go around so I, some people just need their shot absolutely as long as they they fully understand what it what it is you know i know did you ever watch that usfl doc that, that 30 for 30 espn did i did not it's like the usfl was doing really well in like their first you know, like year or two and then you know donald trump was the commissioner and then he wanted to compete directly with the nfl like the second or third season and put it in the fall and then when it was competing directly with the nfl that just it failed miserably so yep. it's like they would have just continued to be like their their kind of just niche in the, in the spring it's like people would eat it up yeah know your lane find your audience it's okay yeah, to be exactly. it's okay to be a niche type thing like the nfl is too big like just find yeah i mean you see how the nfl draft coverage like it's like we <laughs> talk about the nfl draft all year like people are just they're so thirsty for for nfl for football talk all year round the last thing and we'll wrap up here matt um your boy got traded to the rams um how are you feeling about stafford's new home um I, i'm a little uh it's a little bittersweet right i um i 
I feel like uh, there's this buddy I went to high school with who was a big Detroit Lions fan, and I uh, I've been meaning to text him because I'm like, you know, the the era is over, like 2009 to 2020. That's that's my Lions fanhood. Like that's it. Like I'm I'm officially off the bandwagon. I don't know how people do it for their whole lives. Like I I got a taste of it, and now now I'm done. I don't know if I can be a Rams fan. Like I'm still I'm pulling for. Stafford to win a Super Bowl more than any other quarterback, so it kind of de facto makes me a Rams fan. But the Rams have the worst uniforms in the entire NFL. Like you know, oh. the uniform guy, and they're terrible. These new ones, honestly, the Falcons' new ones may be the worst uniforms in the NFL. They're, oh my goodness, they're right there Central with them. Those, right are, here. those are awful uniforms. But you look at the Rams, just what they had. It, it's it's just it's definitely a team that's got a supporting cast that that's that's trying to win now. So I'm just I'm glad that Stafford's in a situation that's trying to win now. They got a they got a pretty solid defense. They got some weapons. So uh, I was I'm a little torn though because they got the the Lions got DeAndre Swift now. So I was I was feeling the Lions. You know they're my squad. But uh, I'm glad to see Stafford have 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 a have an opportunity to, to finally win something. What do you I don't what do you think of uh, Carson Wentz. I mean, the Eagles think they're going to get the same the same thing that the Lions got for Stafford. Uh, I think they're going to get less. Would be my guess. They uh, Stafford is shown in the past year um, to still be a top ten, top fifteen quarterback. Carson Wentz is shown to be a top three quarterback, but that has been now three years away. Um, Stafford more recent success. Um, I just I don't think Wentz is worth as much as Stafford. Um, I think Stafford has never been as good as Wentz was in 2017. But we don't know if Wentz will ever be that guy again. And if you're really not sure he'll ever be that guy again with so much of it being mental, then you just you can't give up. You can't mortgage your future um, for somebody like Wentz at this point. It's just too much of a question mark. And with Stafford, you know at the very least you're getting a top 15, top 10 potential quarterback. Like, you know that's coming. He's a, he's a known would, quantity. Yeah, I would agree with that. I would say Wentz is one really good year, was better than any year Stafford's had, but he also hasn't had another year close to that but the only thing i was thinking about i was pushing back on your uh uniform take um and i'm looking at them now and i'm like well i guess the only other ones that i would say like worse than the falcons and the rams would be the jaguars right now i don't like the jags yeah i'm not a big fan of the jaguars the the pats are not good i don't like the pats yeah the jets current uniforms jets are okay I, I like the old ones better, but I don't think this is bad. I think they're better than the Falcons. The Rams, the Rams and Falcons are only the worst because the, the Rams entire take the patch, the patch and the well, Rams. Yeah, are... but like the entire fan base knew exactly what they wanted. Yes. Like, oh, we're changing our uniforms. All right, give us those throwbacks. That's mm-hmm. what we're talking about. And then they give us go some new age shit that nobody wanted <laughs> at all. I was like, what are you, what are you talking about? We, we all love the throwbacks. Why aren't, why aren't you rocking those? The Texans actually might be the most boring, worst ones in the NFL. I think I'm going to throw Texans just because See, they're, they're solid. They're nothing. It's special, just boring. There's nothing interesting. I don't like teams that fall back on the red, white, and blue. Like there's too many red, white, and blue teams in football anyway, and sports like just across sports. But they're just boring. I don't know. The Texans are just that's boring. true. But they at least have the the built in. I mean, with the Texas flag and stuff, the the red, white, and blue at least makes sense from that perspective. But um. Can we can we talk about the the Super Bowl just mm-hmm. briefly? Yeah, and how Tom Brady is just like the most overrated athlete oh in my. the history of You're sport. just like you saved the last five minutes for this podcast to just unload all of your your hottest Dude, takes you've been just, screwing over. 
it's kind of like Tom Brady. Granted, he played way better in this Super Bowl than he did in the last one, like uh, the one in Atlanta. But like this, it's a team sport. It's just so strange to me how this quarterback just gets so much, so much love. Like we all knew, like the the Buccaneers were a good team. It, it feels like. It feels like when LeBron went from Miami back to Cleveland and everyone's like, oh, this is like this is a legit championship because he returned home. And it was like, no, he made literally the exact same decision to go back to Cleveland than he did to originally go to Miami. He saw the two stars like Kevin Love. Yeah, and it was Gary a better Irving. basketball he's like, situation. He's like, yeah, that's a better younger team that can win a championship. It wasn't about, I mean, I'm sure going It home wasn't about Cleveland. Too. No, it was about the number one pick and Kyrie Irving. That's what it was yeah, about. Yeah, exactly. And so the Tampa Bay Bucks were like a 7-9 and nine team with a quarterback that threw 30 interceptions. <laughs> like 30 interceptions. That's wild. The Buccaneers were actually like a solid team that had a lot of, a lot of the things – you know, that were needed to win a Super Bowl. They just didn't have a good quarterback. And then Tom Brady just steps in. Granted, he had, like, a great year. This is probably, like, his best year of the last, what, th- three or four years. He he, he kind of looked like he was declining. But he had a great year this year. I'm not, like, just hating on Tom Brady. But it's just wild to me how he talked, like, I don't know. Maybe I'm just biased towards, like, when I think best athlete, I'm thinking, like, big, fast, strong, like, all that, all those qualities. Obviously, the... The certain things Tom Brady does require a lot of athletic ability, too. But, like, who thinks Tom Brady's a better athlete than LeBron James? Like, who thinks he's a better athlete than Michael Jordan? You know what I mean? Like, Deion Sanders is a better athlete than than Tom Brady. He's, like, arguably a better football player than Tom Brady. Like, I don't know. It's just, it's strange to me, like, the obsession, like, we're, we're going to act like Devin White wasn't, like, the best player on the field on Sunday, honestly. Like, Devin White was everywhere. And that Buccaneers defense. I think Levante David was even better. I think Levante David was more important than Devin. You could even say, yeah, you could even say that. I just felt like Devin White every time I looked up, he was in on every single tackle. But but yeah, I mean, you just held the Kansas City Chiefs like the most unstoppable offense in like NFL history. So it sounds like you're just mad that they gave him MVP, not that. um, Because I don't know. No, I'm not mad he got MVP because he he played really well. It was like. He was solid, but I actually yeah, think I mean, Mahomes was just as good as him. And this is something that's going to be forgotten is Mahomes was launching bombs off his, like, flying forward 30 yards downfield, and he had a pressure rate of 55% in this game. Like, Brady would have died. Like, he actually would have died behind the Chiefs offensive line in this game. Um, starting exactly. Mike Grimmers at left tackle. Like, the the pass grades, if you go to PFF and sort through the stuff, it's just like, holy shit. Like, it was... It was awful. Like, Patrick Mahomes literally was pressured on half of his dropbacks. He was running for his life every single play. Exactly. It's just, it's hard to call a guy the greatest, like, athlete of all time when his performance is just so hinged on, like, other players' performance. Like, if he was missing his starting right and left tackles like Mahomes was, like, he would have gotten abused. Like, there's nothing he could have done. Like, or if he was just, if you just swapped their situations, if if Jason Pierre-Paul is... And whoever else, whoever else, uh, Tampa Bay had was just all over him the whole game. It's like I don't know. It's just it's strange the obsession with Tom Brady. That's that's all it is. Like the dude wins. The dude is great. It's just like the the, the defense gives up nine points, and we're we're hyping up Tom Brady as the greatest ever. It's like I haven't heard like one word about how dominant this defense was, or just how like extraordinary a performance it was to to shut down the Kansas City offense too. Like it's just. I don't know. He's he's obviously great. He's just he's so overrated. It's like it it blows my mind. It's like oh, it's maddening. I feel like I have to roll my eyes every time I hear the TV. I can tell. About. I can tell. 
All right, Matt. Well, we got to end it. We got to <laughs> end it here before we get taken off the air for your next hot tick. But um, thank you as always, my friend. Um, we'll be back next Thursday during this off season as we navigate uh, no college football for six to seven months. But um, it'll be here before you know it, Matt Green. Uh, we can follow you on Twitter at Matt underscore W underscore Green. Follow myself at Chase Double underscore Thomas and leave us a five star rating and review on Apple Podcasts if you're an iPhone user. Do it right now. Pause it one, two three, four, five. That's as long as it takes to do it. Thank you, as always, everyone, for that guy down there in Tequila, Georgia, Matt Green, for myself, Chase Thomas, up here in Knoxville, Tennessee. That is all I've got. Stay safe out there, my friend, and we will talk again soon. Yes, sir. All right, we're back on a Thursday morning edition of the Chase Thomas Podcast. I am now joined by the coach of where I went to high school, and I'm not going to say how long ago I graduated from this high school, <laughs> Hartview High School down there in my hometown of Lilburn, Georgia. Coach Godfrey, how are you? Yes, I'm doing very well. Thank you. Appreciate you having me on. So we have to start with something not football related because I'm going to ask you a lot of football stuff. But so – Watching this game, I watched uh, Parkview, I want to say it was Marietta early on this this past season. And something that I've noticed since I've been gone from Parkview, and this happened a little bit while I was there, the the prevalence of blue that is starting to creep up all over the uniforms, all over the... I, I need it to stop. I talked to Coach Jones about this at Brookwood a few weeks back. I, he agrees. We got to get rid of this. The orange and white is fine. I don't know why blue is becoming so prevalent everywhere at uh, right. beloved high school. What what's going on, Coach? Right now, I, I agree because orange and white are school colors. Yes, uh, blue is an accent. As a matter of fact, it's not even labeled as a school color. No, it's not. So I I know I, I totally agree. It's funny our kids they all want black jerseys. They want this. And I said yes. no. You know we're gonna be orange. And actually, our, we we had a blue jersey and we wore. Matter of fact, it's probably that Marietta game. Uh, we're in we're in all all blue in one game. I can't remember what, mm-hmm. but uh, but yeah, those those blue jerseys when we retired from the varsity. I'm with you. We wear orange at home, white away. We do have a pair of blue pants that look really good, but uh, I'm sold on the orange and white too. All right, there <laughs> we go. I'm I glad. Like the tradition. I didn't know I like how you would be receptive to that. I I wanted to I, I wanted to start there and just to see where you were at, but see, but I'm right, glad we're on the I'm same all page. about tradition. Exactly. And you know, being being a part of you guy, and there's so many great traditions here at Parkview, and, and and that's one of them. The orange is a big, big tradition. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, it's not the big orange and blue jungle, Coach Cotter. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, how was this season for you? I've talked to Coach Corey Mead, talked to uh, Bill Spire down there in Camden. I've talked to Coach Jones mm-hmm. at Brookwood, um, getting different perspectives on navigating this crazy season um, from the high school level. How was it for you? Yeah, that's it. The, uh, it was great getting to play. Uh, it was great for our kids. It was great for our community. You know, all of those things. It was great to do all of those things to bring something positive. Uh, you know, to all this negativity and everything going on. Um, but you know, having said that, it, it was definitely the most difficult. Uh, just on you know all the different transitions and all the protocols and the, the daily changes of things we can and can't do. Mm. Uh, and then the, the biggest. The biggest, I guess, disappointment of the whole time of the whole season is football is such about camaraderie and bringing kids together and you know doing team building, you know all that all that kind of stuff. We didn't get to do any of that this year. Uh, you know, it was, it was stay apart as much as you can. It's, 
as soon as you you can pretty much drop stuff off in the locker room and leave you know you can't you can't hang out in the locker room and you know have all that you know fun and camaraderie and uh so that's we're so busy worried about being compliant that uh we you know we didn't have a whole lot of opportunity for connection and that's something we feel like you know that's really different special that we do at Parkview is I feel like our coaches and, and so many schools around here do a great job of that is uh you know coaches connecting with kids and kids connecting with each other and really having that community and uh and feeling love for each other that you know we, we didn't get to do much of that this year because of protocols do the kids really understand it coming in or was this something that you had to work towards or were the kids like prepared and because this started months previous that they were they were they knew what they were in for if football came back this fall Right, right, no, absolutely, and they were just excited to play. I mean, they really were, and and our kids were great. I mean, they really, our big word was relentless, and they really were relentless when it came to uh, just, just what the next rule change. Okay, uh, the next thing we got to do. Okay, um, and it was very different. You know, I remember one of the first times they came back, and us just trying to transition, uh, you know, from you know getting locker room and get out of locker room to uh, you know different drills, and they they hadn't seen each other in forever. They they just wanted to they hate each other and there i am giving my guys we can't we can't hang out you got to move you got to you know uh so you know that that whole part of the transition was tough but so they were excited just you know just even to get the chance to play but it really took us till playoffs to we really kind of really gelled together as a team did this affect what you're able to install on offense in the the summer and leading up was the compliance stuff make it did it make it difficult for you to install new things that you yeah yes absolutely especially uh you know, we had a sophomore quarterback, a brand new quarter, you know, new quarterback coming in as a sophomore, and not being able to do our normal seven on seven stuff. We couldn't even have our teams together during the summer. You know, we have twenty to get twenty kids together at a time, and uh, and so it did. It made it, it made it very difficult on that end, as far as uh, like you said, offensive install. I mean, defensive install. You know, kind of all of it. Just getting kids together and meshing together and gelling together. Uh, it took a bulk of the season to finally get to that point. Interesting. Do you think that was a the case? Uh, like when you were looking and looking at tape across uh, across the league and across the region, did you notice that a lot of teams were having to do the same sort of stuff where you were all in the same boat together? Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. One hundred percent. Never have we seen so many teams kind of up and down, mm-hmm. um, and so many teams. You know. You know. Good one week, not so good one week. You know. Great in one quarter, not so great in another quarter. And I don't think it all had to tie within, you know, all that we have just been discussing. So, yeah, I really saw, like I said, throughout the league, you know, throughout the year with, uh, you know, a lot of teams and watching, ten- watching film and, and definitely happened with us as well. What was the most interesting thing you saw from film this fall from other teams outside of the just up and down play? Right. Uh, well, it was kind of an underdog year. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there, there was chances for it. That, that did kind of make it neat. You saw it in college football. Yeah. Uh, you know, an opportunity for some underdogs to really – uh, you know, get in there and, you know, mix in with, you know, whoever the, the normal, you know, guys who are winning big and all that kind of stuff. And again, I, I think it because what we get normally do during the summer, I feel like is very, very special, you know, here at Parview and we didn't get to do any of it. And uh, so you, you know, you saw every, every game out there was very competitive uh, and uh, it, it kind of made for an interesting season on that end. What did you learn about yourself um, both personally and as a coach? in the past year yes uh well i think personally i realized i I knew i was a relational leader you know enjoy relationships and uh you know with kids and coaches and i realized how much that really drives my leadership style and how effective it was this uh this season 
uh, I did not feel like I was, uh, I guess, the best leader, if you will, um, because it, because of being compliant, wasn't really allowed to really build relationships as well, and uh, and that that made it, like I said, really tough on me. And uh, just knowing, you know, I can do a whole lot better job under our normal circumstances. So there was a lot of adjustments on that end, and uh, you know, forced us to make some adjustments during season and throughout season, and. Uh, so, you know, having gone through the pandemic and coaching through it and all that kind of stuff, you know, as always, every year we pick up things, learn things, and, you know, feel like I'm, you know, definitely a better coach But uh, for all of that. But I want to get back to, you know, our, our connecting with kids. That that's I desperately miss that. It, it made it different, made it more difficult. And, uh, I mean, it's still a great season, but it just the, – the enjoyment of the connection wasn't there. Was Was this the sentiment felt across all the other coaches that you talked with about this? Yes, yes, yeah. Actually, I got that word connection from Andy Dyer out at uh, uh, Archer because mm. um, he's the one. He's kind of said, man, I'm being so compliant, I can't even connect <laughs> with my kids. And I said, dude, that, that's exactly what it is. You know, I call it relational, you know, and uh, that, that's exactly what it is. It's that opportunity, missing on the opportunity to connect with the uh, kids. What impressed you most about your kids this fall? Yeah, th- their resiliency against every change. We went there for, like, in summertime, we finally got to get together and we had – you know, small groups of groups of 10 or 20, you know, what, you know, that's of max. And uh, for them to, for us to put a schedule and we would find out on a Thursday or Friday and have to get all that information to them digitally. And they would have to show up on Monday at their time. We had times going starting at 7 a.m. And the last one group would be done at 9 p.m. Because we got so many kids in the program, they have to come in. It's got to be a 30 minute window in between when nobody can be there and you got to clean and all that kind of stuff. And uh, our kids didn't miss a beat. Uh, in that little short time of communication, they were, you know, they were on time when they were supposed to be there. Uh, they jumped right in, they clean, you know, right after themselves on the benches. You know, it wasn't any, uh, we're having to tug on kids. Hey man, you got to clean your bench when you're done. I mean, it, it was very neat to see our kids just, you know, very compliant, you know, jumping in and doing what they had to do and whatever's asked of them. And, you know, last minute, uh, you know, all of throughout all of it, you know, our kids and what I loved about our kids is they never complained one time they were just excited to be able to be with their friends and play football. Um, in terms of on the field stuff, uh, I went back, this was like, this was just the, the early stages of the pandemic coach Godfrey, where you're just trying to mm-hmm. find sports to watch because you're, there's nothing. Everything was closed. I was like, I don't That's even know. Right. That's I, right. I was losing my mind, uh, early <laughs> on April was a tough month. Um, but I went back through because all three state title games from Parview in the uh, late 90s, early 2000s is on YouTube. So I pulled it up and oh. Chromecasted it. And I was taking notes because I just wanted to see just how different it was. And there was a drive where Parkview did not throw the football once. Um, and it was like a 13-play drive. Took like 10 minutes of time. Just huge fullback. They're going double tight ends right up the middle. Dawkins. And it was just... <laughs> You do. Oh, you yeah. saw that, and I was like, "This is just. You're, it's like watching the Stone Age and just seeing how different things are." Because I watching the Parkview game against uh, Marietta this fall, and just how y'all play. It, it's just. It, it doesn't even look like you're playing the same sport anymore. And it's. Right. I, I don't know if that's something that you've noticed as it's happening, or you're just like, "Oh my god!" Like if I go back to it, I'm just stunned at just how much things have transformed while I've been coaching. Yeah. Yeah. No. Absolutely. And you're right. From. You know, fall of 99 was my first year uh, coaching. And I got to come back from, you know, graduate from Parkview, play college ball, and then got to come back to Parkview. So I was here from 99 to 04. Of course, you know, we had that run, had a lot of those good football teams. 
But from 99 to right now, uh, just as you said, it has changed a lot. Um, you know, it, back in back, you know, 20 years ago, all the best players got to go to all the athletes got to go to defense, mm-hmm. and then you can share them on offense. You know, you can try to, you know, when they when they're fresh, we can grab them on offense for a little bit, and they got to, you know, but they got to play defense. Yeah. And uh, nowadays, you know, everybody's putting, you know, great players on both sides of the ball. Yes. But it's not. It's not like uh, back in the day. You know, when you do jet chart. All right. Uh, Offense gets to choose a quarterback first because you got to have a quarterback, and then defense picks the next eleven, and then offense picks what's you know what's left. Interesting. And you know that, that was from a long time ago. You know, and now nowadays, if now if this you know we're going to fit this athlete or receiver, we got to have yeah. you know these receivers. We got to have these running backs. Got to have this quarterback. You know, it's it's really different. So it's it's really turned into, I mean, you know, defense still win championships absolutely, but you have to be able to move the ball on offense. It's you know, it, there's no more scores of seven to nothing and three to nothing and ten to seven, and um, you know people are going to score points, and they spread the field. And then that's that's different too from playing everything or eleven man box like you were talking about the two tight ends and fullback. You know now teams will spread you fifty three and a third all mm-hmm. the way across the field, and then throw it deep and throw it short, throw it underneath. So it puts a lot of stress on defenses having to cover a lot of grass. And honestly, it's made the game a lot of fun, too. Yeah. It really has. Well, um, it's also just like putting just, the ball in the hands of your athletes. So, like, everything, even if you look up from college to high school to the NFL, it's just targeting where your mismatches are. Like, it was less about mismatches yeah. early on. Now it's just like they don't have anybody who can cover this person one-on-one. They can't do this person on a five-yard slant. They can't. The underneath will be open if we send this person deep because they have to spin. Yep. They have to spy. Like, everything is just about finding matchups, right? The, the, absolutely. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, and that's the NFL solely is on matchups. How can we get somebody? How can we get a receiver lined up on the linebacker? You know, it's all about you know matchups, matching. How can we mismatch and, uh, and and it's really trickled down to high school as well. You know, as we sit there and watch, and you know, again, you know, looking for matchups and looking for uh, you know light boxes and heavy boxes. You know, it's just it's it really has transformed the game. Like I said, it has it's made it, it's made it a lot of fun. Is it hard for you now to get guys to want to play defense? Um, yes and no. Okay. Uh, it's funny, you know, because we got some guys who just, you know, love it and sell out and go to it. And uh, what's neat at the Parkview culture, too, is our kids want to win. And uh, so, you know, if we got kids who, you know, that, crap, they need to play defense, they're going to play defense. Um, you know, for example, we had Jared Brown this year, who's mm-hmm. a phenomenal receiver. He's going to play at Coastal Carolina, play wide receiver. Uh, you know, we're getting closer to the playoffs. We're like, hey, man, we need you to play defense. He's like, coach, what do I need to do to help team? And uh, so, you know, it's a neat culture we have here where kids are do- willing to do whatever it takes to help the team win and um but i have i've you know we've had some some in the past that have, you know kind of like oh man i'm just a receiver or you know something of that nature <laughs> yeah because it's just more fun now like it's just so much fun to be if you are an athlete uh, like you just want to play a receiver you want to play halfback you want to be able to you be used across the line of scrimmage in different ways you can run you can do rpo stuff you can do all these different fun things that you were not able to do in the late 90s that on defense a lot of it you just get exposed and you give up a lot of points and you have you like you're getting worked a lot and it's right uh, it's yep. it's just not as fun there's not as much glory no no <laughs> yeah i mean is is it do you think this is something that's trickling down to to the high school level where like Zach Garnett, the defensive coordinator for Mississippi State, they when you play for a Mike Leach style offense, and this is what Spire kind of runs and like what they ran with Leach at Kentucky um, back mm-hmm. in the mid 90s with Tim Couch and everything um, that kind of led, led into the air raid where right. um, I, I think it's interesting that now and I think Oklahoma does this to an extent, too, where 
you understand going in that you're going to give up a bunch of yards. You understand you're going to have to give up a bunch of points. But what you're hoping is that you get the takeaways. You win the turnover battle. You get some sacks. You get some pressure. You send the house. But um, you need a little bit of those. But you also understand that you're going to give up 35 to 42 points because your offense is so good and scores so quickly that it's just impossible for your defense not to give up a lot of points and a lot of yards. You're just hoping that you get the stops when you need to and the turnovers when you need to. Is that kind of how your defensive philosophy works? Right. I, I mean, yes. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we're, we're big on the red zone, trying to hold people to three or less in the red zone. And uh, and then what you said with turnovers, because the turnovers is the best way, obviously, to get the ball back and get with, you know, good field position to help the offense. And, and it's a stop. Um so, you know, that we, again, we know teams are they're going to be able to move the ball and get first downs, all that kind of stuff, like you're saying. So uh, we really harp, you know, heavy on the red zone. We do red zone periods every single day, uh, you know, again, trying to keep people out of the end zone because, again, they're, you know, they're going to move the ball, get the ball down the field. Explosive plays are going to happen in these offenses, the way they're running them. And uh, so, yeah, trying to limit the red zone and create turnovers. Uh, ex- yeah, absolutely. It's a big, big, big part of our philosophy on defense. How much do you think Coach Jones or Coach Jones, uh, Coach Flo <laughs> hates uh, seeing a quarterback uh, from the gun at the one yard line? <laughs> uh, I'm sure he despises it. You know, what? I'm going to ask him next time I talk to him. Uh, and what's so funny is that's us. And I get people ask all the time, "Why don't y'all get in the center out there?" So we don't ever take any snaps on no. the center. So we're going to go out there and then we're going to fumble it. And then we're going to take a snap and fumble it. Uh, and it is. It's not really taught but anymore, right? I get the right? frustration. I, I get the frustration. To say what? It's not really taught anymore, right? Like I talked to college coaches, and it's like they get these kids, and they're like, these kids have never been understood in their life when they get to college. Correct. No, you're right. It is. It, it's amazing. And uh, I was always an understander guy too. And guys, probably ten years ago, twelve years ago, went to the you know pretty much strictly gun, and then uh, I say strictly was both kind of doing both. But in the last seven years, we've been strictly gun crazy how would you describe your offense what is your offensive philosophy and what is your favorite personnel to run right yeah we, we are a, a true spread off we would love to get in more tight end sets we just haven't had true tight ends uh mm-hmm. which is crazy um well the true tight end now is a receiver basically no yeah you're exactly right yes yeah we'd love to have a guy that we can be a he can be an attached tight end he can be a spread tight end you know all that kind of stuff you know so uh you know, we're, that's we're, we're, we're pushing to try to develop some of those but but we really are a very you know spread oriented. But uh, as much as we throw the ball, we we really are a run first uh, philosophy. Uh, we'd love to be as close to the fifty fifty as possible. And then depending on our personnel, depending on our quarterback, depending on our run, you know all those kind of things. We've been anywhere from uh, seventy run to thirty pass, all the way to thirty pass uh, thirty run seventy percent pass. Again, you know just depending on who we have, our personnel, all that kind of stuff. Um, so. Uh, you know, our philosophy kind of changes based on who we have. Because uh, in the high school, you know, you got to play with what you got. And, exactly. Uh, so, so, but but we do, we definitely, you know, harp on being good at the run game. You know, we, we look like we throw the ball a whole lot, but we, yeah, we, we probably end up running it more than we throw it. Yeah. Um, how much of it is when you're calling RPOs with your sophomore quarterback, how nervous do you get when you're calling pass plays downfield and with the young quarterback where it's like how many progressions does he usually have to go through um how many reads are you comfortable with the a younger yeah. quarterback uh, like you had this year right now that's a great question and uh because you know like you know last year we had a two-year starter and mm-hmm. he's a senior did i never stress over it all he was going to get it right he knew how to read the box he knew how to read the linebacker i mean he just he was going to nail it every single time and then this year having a sophomore uh you said it best man super nervous i mean mm-hmm. we're in, 
in the playoff games and I about erupt and go crazy because <laughs> I see the read that he should make and knowing he's not going to make that read. Uh, I'm, I'm going crazy on the sidelines before the snap of the ball. But again, being a sophomore and uh, oh crap, you know, I see a guy roll down and say, oh boy, we're in trouble. He don't see, I know he don't see him rolling down. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, no, it did. Yeah, make, make, made, made for a lot of nerves throughout the season for sure. Um, but, but he managed well and he's got such a strong arm that golly, he can zip the ball places. A lot of people can zip the ball. So uh, uh, it's going to be special to watch him next year. I will not be near as nervous next year. Okay, that's all I was going <laughs> to ask you. Like, is uh, going to open up a little bit? Um, do a lot of kids like that? Do a lot of young quarterbacks like the RPO stuff where they are challenged to make reads all the time, and it just seems like it's far more difficult, and you have to just be such a smart, high IQ football player to survive. In right. Football? Right. Yes. Yes, I would say the experienced quarterbacks for sure, 100%. Like then last year being his first time, you know, playing varsity football the whole season, all that kind of stuff, uh, you know, there were times that, you know, kind of struggled. And, uh, and, and of course, we had a phenomenal running back, so we felt good just handing the ball to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at times, probably should have pulled it more. And then as we're telling them, dude, you got to pull this more, sometimes we pull it when you should have handed it off. You know, so, yeah. uh, again, just being young. So, But I, I agree, yeah, the experienced ones – yeah, lay more on them because they can make you right. You know, that's, that's a great thing, having that, that coach in the field that can make you right. And uh, whereas this year we had to uh, help make him right, if that makes sense, uh, more so than, you know, having that on-field guy. So, uh, yeah, and, and he did a great job even, you know, this season as well. But like I said, next year we've got two more years with him, and he's yeah. going to be a, a fun one to watch for play football. How many times do you think a pick, uh, pick play should be called in uh, the high school game? Oh, uh, an actual pick? Yeah, how ma- uh, an actual pick play. How many times do you think it should be called? Because that is something I take notes out of, just being like, how many times are they going to do an illegal screen? Like the little screen said to get right. to free oh, up yeah. your athlete. Hey, like I, it happens hey. all the time, I've noticed. Yes, it does. Oh, and I, I tell the officials before the game, we're playing teams that run automatic pick stuff. Yeah. I do. I let the officials know. Situations, <laughs> hey, when this back coming out of the backfield, here comes the pick from the receiver here. You know, uh, all that kind of stuff because it, it is crazy. Um, I think on the goal line that you should definitely do it a lot. Yeah. And because uh, <laughs> that's when you're usually getting your man coverages. Yep. Um, and it's just so tight. And these quarterbacks need a coverage. little bit. It's just it, things get tight and they just need a little bit of space. And that little that's pick right. is an easy yeah. touchdown. Yeah. Yep. Yep. No, you're exactly right. And nobody does it better than the NFL. They are They are really, really good at it. Yeah. Because they sell it out and it looks clean. It just looks so normal. They normalize it. But yeah. in high school when I was watching that and I'm just pulling stuff, I'm like, man, that is egregious. <laughs> they're just like, right they, yes they don't because they're young they don't know they're just like they're doing what their instinct is is to open it up and it's just if the ref doesn't see yep. it like it's an easy touchdown absolutely i'm pretty sure the second round of the playoffs mm-hmm. uh i think it was the second round of playoffs man they were downfield blocking all the time with <laughs> passes coming to, you know coming across on shallows and uh and uh, you know coming into sight and these, mm-hmm. this is illegal as it can be uh i, I was definitely officials here before pregame about you know watching watching this downfield screening and blocking and yes absolutely. What is the toughest route to teach uh, kids today? Oh man, uh, really getting leverage. Mm. Um, I, I won't say just a single route, uh, but just gaining you know getting kids to understand leverage, um, ha- having them stack back and push back vertical, uh, and getting the leverage on the you know a shoulder of a DB and then sticking a route and breaking out. Um, it's really the whole process. I wouldn't say just a single uh, route, if you will. Um, we've, we've had some guys that were just so – that could run a speed out beautifully. We have a receiver who's at Indiana right now. The second, he had a great season this year at in Indiana, uh, Miles Marshall, and he could run a speed out 
uh, it was unbelievable how well he could run speed out. <laughs> mm-hmm. And we had some other guys who were definitely faster that should have been able to run speed out better, but but they couldn't just the way he would use his body and all that kind of stuff. So, um, like I said, I wouldn't say just any kind of single route, but just that whole idea of leverage and then sticking football to the ground and creating that space. That's the that's what continue to work and teach. And for some reason, it's it is it's difficult to for a kid to continually be good at it. We have a receiver who's a freshman at uh, C.J. Daniels. He's a freshman at uh, Liberty this year. Mm-hmm. Got on the field, had a great season for them, and he was phenomenal at it. He was really, really, really good at it. Of course, we referenced him all the time. Hey, watch C.J. run routes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, just pure and clean and the way he could stack and stick his foot in the ground. And um, you would think, well, golly, everybody can do that. But for some reason, only the really good ones do. Interesting, interesting. Um, best win from this season, in your opinion, and the worst loss that you still think about? Okay, yes. Yeah, the best win was uh, versus uh, East Coweta in the second okay. round of the playoffs. Um, we were worried sick about them. Uh, you know, they had a phenomenal season. They were ranked number five in the state, and uh, we were on the road to their place. And it was our best four quarters of football, um, period. Uh, we got after them from start to finish. Uh, I think the it was forty something to seven. I think was the final, uh, and uh, but just from like I said, from start to finish, we played our absolute best four quarters: offense, defense, special teams, every bit of. We had an explosive third quarter. We got some turnovers and scored fast, and um, it was a, it was a fun fun game to be a part of. Um, so the one game that truly everything clicked in, and uh, like we we were picked. We were an underdog in that game, and so it was good to go down there and get that big victory um, on that one. And then uh, the, the loss that super sour that still sits on me, uh, I would I would say Colin Till because you know they go on to play in the state championship game and they beat us by seven. We're up by one fourth quarter, um, but that that's not the really one that truly sits sour on me. They were a phenomenal team. We were a phenomenal team. That game could have gone you know either way. We played each other ten times. We're probably going to be five and five with each other. But uh, but the one that sour six for me is, is the Brookwood loss, um, a game we definitely should have won. And uh, Jones wasn't you know, even there. That that's right. No, he wasn't. No, no, he wasn't. It's a game we. It was crazy. We were physically in the first half. We were just dominant, and we were so dominant. We ended up knocking out the quarterback. We knocked out the best receiver, and we were just physically dominant. We we're just having a hard time moving the ball in the first half. Second half, we come out. They got a backup quarterback. They don't have the best receiver in the game. And we start moving the ball offensively, but then we start giving up big plays on defense um, to the backup quarterback. Who ended up, he was like 15 of 16. He couldn't miss. Something was spiritually incredibly going on with that boy. And uh, he literally couldn't miss. Um, and, uh, and, and we left some people wide open downfield. And that game was definitely the most uh, haunting game of the season, knowing that we should have won that game. Last thing, and we'll wrap up here. Um, it's a two-parter. 2021 expectations that, for this fall. Um, yeah. And then also, um, I, I'm a UT grad student right now um, up here in Knoxville. Oh, Godfrey. awesome. And um, Cody Brown, I, I need you to, um, as a personal favor to me, uh, I'm a little concerned that he is not going to be in Knoxville this fall. And I, I need you to do what you can to encourage him that there is nothing wrong with changing the shade of orange from Parkview orange to uh, Tennessee big orange <laughs> and it, just stay the course. Hypel's going to be fine. Just stay the course. He's going to be, it's going to be fun. He's going to be able to do a lot of fun stuff. It's similar to the offense that you're running. It's actually more similar 
to the offense that you've ran um, right. in the past few years. So it's actually there's more of a reason for him to stay at uh, at Tennessee. So um, that is just do what you can, Coach Godfrey. Do what you. Oh uh, yes, yeah. I, I'll, I'll I'll address I'll address both of those on that. I'll start with twenty twenty one and finish mm-hmm. with the fun stuff on Cody. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, yeah, so really this season we're going to be very young. I mean, very young. Um, as in, we might have up to 12 sophomores starting for us. Uh, but the good thing is, is it's a lot of very gifted, talented sophomores. Um, we have a returning quarterback who's going to be a junior that has a Arkansas University of Arkansas offer, an FSU offer. You know, he's a, he's a very special you know football player. And then, uh, and you know, the few seniors that that are going to be starting, you know, we'll do a good job leading, having some experience, all that kind of stuff. So, so super young this season. And if if we were in a normal time without COVID and we had 100% of our kids at school every day in the weight room, first period, getting after it five days a week like we normally do, I wouldn't be as concerned. Um, but but with so many kids on digital and then they're coming after school and it's just a little different, it has me a little concerned about our overall strength and up front and all that kind of stuff. But athleticism-wise, we're going to be able to compete with anybody. And then, uh, you know, just up front, we're going to have some – good size, good athletes, all that kind of stuff that are going to play college ball one day. They're just going to be really young and competing in 7A football versus 18-year-olds who have been crushing the weight room. Uh, makes it difficult on a 15, 16-year-old uh, that hasn't had the same opportunity because of all the digital learning and all that kind of stuff. So uh, I feel I do feel good about the upcoming fall. I think uh, early on we're going to learn a lot about each other and then we're going to get to playing some pretty dang good football uh, come playoff time. We're just going to be young. Uh, but the future is definitely bright at Parvey for sure. Uh, Absolutely, then, you gotta get uh, off this Collin Hill stuff, man. I don't. Collin Hill in the Nash in a state championship game was just bonkers to me. I I thought I saw that had to be a mistake. I was like, Collin Hill, this is not Collin Hill football. This is not the Collin Hill I remember. Why? What what is happening here? We need to get back right. to get back to normalcy where they're back in the gutter. Exactly. That's why we, <laughs> hey, they're gonna be really really good this year with that quarterback and receiver combination. Mm-hmm. They're gonna be really good uh, this coming fall. So I really think them and uh, them Brookwood. Them and Brookwood have a chance to be two phenomenal teams coming this fall, so we'll see. But hey, we're gonna put our boys against them, and I, you know, and Barbie, you can line up and beat anybody any day. So there you go. Uh, yes, yeah, we will definitely take that challenge. So uh, yeah, and then looking at uh, at Cody, I, I agree with you 100. percent I think Tennessee's done a great job on hiring a great coach, and he's gonna do a good job, and he's gonna win. Might take some time, and and I and just in talking, I've talked with Cody, and I. Just encourage. I, I think it's a great opportunity for him to be at Tennessee. He's going to get to play early, you know, with some running backs leaving yeah. and all that kind of stuff. And um, his, his biggest concern is is the NCAA going to yeah. crush Tennessee before they can't win? Because um, he loves Tennessee and he loves all of it. Uh, that that's his biggest concern. Because he not only does he want to obviously play on a high level, he wants to win too. You know. Yeah. Um, so you know, I, I think if NCAA would hurry up and come back and say, okay, we're not going to kill him. Yeah. I think it'd help a lot of Tennessee, a lot of a lot of kids and coaches and all that kind of stuff. But the fear of, you know, yeah. so many sanctions coming down, and well, golly, then his next three and four years are just going to be a big fat struggle because yeah. of NCAA, you know, sanctions. So that uh, you know that that's that's the kind of the fear right now. So so he's definitely locked into uh, Tennessee right now, but he definitely has a fear about it. You know, as far as when it comes to that, and 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 I get that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I get it too. Hopefully sooner rather than later, but we shall see. Um, Coach Godfrey, I have taken way too much of your time today, but I greatly appreciate it. This has been this has been great.
Yes, I, I enjoyed it too. Really, really. Thank you. Go Panthers, man. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, and the last thing I lied. I have one last thing for you. So I yeah. have a Camden County helmet on the way. I have a Brookwood helmet on the way as I build out the studio in the office oh, over very here. Cool. I, yep. It's very weird. If I'm putting a Brookwood helmet as a part view alum in my office for the backdrop yeah. for video stuff. I'm I, sending I you can, a helmet. Oh, are you? That, that's, that's where I was getting at. You knew where I was going. That's right. All right. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Text, text me your the address to send it to, and I'm going to get it out to you. Oh, this is going to be great. I love it. Coach Godfrey, <laughs> good luck this season. Congrats on all the success, sir. And uh, we will have to check in again this fall. Yep, absolutely. Thank you. All right, we're back on the Chase Thomas Podcast, and I am now joined by a first-timer uh, from the very, very good pro wrestling website that is getting live-streamed right now from the Triple H uh, news conference that I'm sure is going great, um, especially when it comes to Velveteen Dream and uh, the future of the company and how, you know, the business might be saved with Rick Steiner's son coming in, um, that dude who looks like young Brock Lesnar coming in, the business might be saved very soon. Joel Herbert, uh, Joe Holbert of, uh, that, when you say your name fast, you want, I like, yeah. I've looked at it four times and I'll say Joel Herbert multiple times. <laughs> it, it, it never fails. I've tried it three different times and it does that, but he's also the host, uh, co-host of the distraction podcast at Fightful with other friend of the pod, Jeremy Lambert. Um, Joe, good evening. Your time, sir. How are you? I'm good. I mean, I, I want to make it clear for mm-hmm. any of your audience. I'm aware I should have some kind of fancy stage name, right? You know, <laughs> Holbert is not the it's not the sexiest of names. I'm aware that much is fine, but um, I'll say this much, Chase. I'm a lot happier to be here than listening to that conference call you reference. So I'm pretty good. <laughs> I don't know how y'all do it with Stephanie calls, Triple H calls. I, there is not an amount of money that you could pay me to report on a WWE conference call there's just not enough. right there with you i'm right <laughs> next to you on that boat trust me we can do this podcast forever rather than doing that much right i'll tell you that much absolutely absolutely um this week what of uh are you all caught up on the pro wrestling i am pretty much caught up i mean here's the thing chase and i'm sure you can relate to this caught up on raw for me at this point in my life means <laughs> I've smartly sort of navigated my way through three hours of that program. Um, I've watched the NXT. Impact, I'm aware. Haven't caught up yet on this week's, but, I mean, there's so many hours now, right? I'm, I'm sure you can relate on that much. Like, my, it's just hard to keep up. But, yeah, I'm aware of what's going on. There's a lot going on, in fairness. Yeah, I'm right there with you, man. Like, I I get – it's so sad that, like, I, I'm not rooting against – other companies like not expect like i just there's just too much there's too much content and i cover all sports and it's just i have to pick my spots and i know i'm missing good stuff but i have to be very particular about what i watch and like nxt i know is solid but like nxt is i i I would prefer it get blended into raw like if i had it my way as the Mm -hmm. the czar of pro wrestling i would move it and just like let's just combine it raw is already a chore to get through let's just turn an hour of nxt to be the open of raw and then have if they really need a three-hour show on usa just do that just blend them together that saves me a night like what wrestling fan would not want to blend those two on mondays i'm with you i mean i think there's it's, it's interesting because, and this is probably a you know a topic best saved for something broader, but it's probably actually best saved for that conference call. But the thing is, it's weird that NXT and Raw seemingly have like contrasting pros and cons, mm-hmm. right? Where NXT, the take on NXT is, and I'm you know one of the leaders of this thing is, 
it's just a good wrestling show. But there's no kind of bells and whistles. There's no hook. There's no kind of emotional pull. It's just good pro wrestling, you know, spread across two. Meanwhile, in Gotham, that we call Monday Night Raw, <laughs> I mean, you've got you've got your clowns, you've got killer clown assistants, you've got you know small girls. It's a very scary program, as you know. Very scary. The middle ground between them, it would be even better, right? Much better. Um. Yeah, I. I don't know how you fix it either. Is there a, is there a way to fix it? Like I raw, I just have written out. Like raw is not fixable as long <laughs> as it's three hours. Like I don't think you can fix the program. Like there's no way to make a fun three hour pro wrestling show every Monday night. I just don't think it's possible. I I agree, but I think in a strange way, and you know, folks like us are a big part of this. It almost feels now that they're at a point with that show where they have erased such goodwill that like every week starts, you know, five points down, you know, like it feels like for someone to say Raw was really good, they have to climb out of a hole at this point because people are just, they're disappointed they're watching it every week. It's a strange point they're at. There's kind of a weird dynamic between them and their own audience, which is again, like, I mean, years long, right? But I, I agree with you. I think three hours just isn't, I mean, I must say there's times where I watch two hour shows. And I think, I think wrestling could do with just being a one hour program. I really do. I think there's something to be said missing guys and saying, I haven't seen this guy for a couple of weeks. When is he going to be back? That's impossible on three hours. I get 20 minutes of every guy I like on that show every single week. It's it's a difficult format with a whole lot of circumstances working against it. But I think the, the real conclusion is, as we, as we kind of you know try and get through it each week, is it needs to be better, right? I mean, there's no excuse to reach the lows it has in recent months. But hopefully it's turning around. I haven't got much faith in that, but hopefully. Hopefully, hopefully. Mm -hmm. um, we shall see. Uh, where would you like to see Edge go? What, what do you think is the right play for Edge? It's interesting. I, I think like everyone else, I went directly to to Roman, right? And you know, my whole thing with Roman was I don't think he should lose at WrestleMania, which made Brian a perfect opponent because Brian doesn't need to win. I think Edge fits a similar bill. I mean, I know people you know assume and they get excited about the idea of an Edge sort of uh, fairy tale. I don't think he needs to win that match, which makes him a perfect marquee main event match for Roman. My kind of passing thought as I watched Raw this week, again, watch being a strong word, it's fascinating to me how much emphasis is still put on AJ Styles. And I'm not saying this is not a scoop, as you well know, Chase, but I wouldn't be stunned if that Raw title goes somewhere we wasn't expecting it to, and that ends up being Edge's match. I'm, you know, I look at where Raw is at, title scene-wise, and I don't think Drew and Edge makes any sense. You know? No. Well, I also don't think Drew as a champion makes any sense because you're not going to believe this, yes. Joe. But also, Drew stinks. And, uh, yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. This is my bit, so we're oh, on board. Okay, we're well. together. I, I yes. like this because I don't think Jeremy is with us on this. He's he's like... I don't think Jeremy has a firm stance or anything at this point. Mm -hmm. I don't know if he could possibly care. But we are definitely alone in this weird, like, you know, defend Drew sort of gang that goes around social media. <laughs> Every month, please don't let Drew lose. Like, no, let him lose. I don't care. Well, the thing is, he's booked perfectly. Like, Drew McIntyre yeah. is booked exactly how a dominant champion should be booked. He's exactly like I Maxwell Bombach of RBR Wrestling had this point mm -hmm. months ago. And I think it was a, it was the correct one in that this is where the WWE failed in terms of Roman booking years ago is yeah. they never pulled the trigger. They never just let him win all the time. They would always set him up to fail in big moments. And then you're like, what are you doing? Like, do you believe in this guy or do you not? Mm -hmm. And they never pulled out the rug from Drew McIntyre. Like, they have given him every possible opportunity to be this entertaining, interesting, 
dominant figure. And it's just, it's not, it's not him. Like he's just not that guy. I agree. I, it's one of those topics that I, I actually at times, and you know, you produce so much content, you talk about this stuff. It's like, I honestly feel bad at times because it's like one of my main, you know, kind of ideologies is, you know, the talent isn't there for the crew, but I'm with everything you just said. I think in this particular case, we have a guy who's been positioned as the top baby face in the company that still feels more like a really formidable intercontinental champion that has great matches underneath. I, he never feels like the main attraction. I don't even see any conversation about Drew. You know, you remember when Roman was on the climb? He was the conversation in wrestling, right? For better or worse, you had a take on Roman. Have you noticed that with Drew, the take is just like, yeah, he has good matches. It's cool. What's Randy doing? Yeah. <laughs> it's not, I don't think that's a good fit for top guy in WWE. I just don't. But we seem to be alone, which is interesting. I think it's because he's a good dude. I think part of this yeah. is that yeah. he's easy to root for and his story is amazing. And he put in the time to reinvent himself. He got bigger. He got the look. He he never gave up. Like Drew McIntyre, the person, and none of mm-hmm. my critiques about him has to do with him outside the ring. Like I, I by all accounts, he's a delightful human being. And um, he worked his ass off to get here. Like he right. he worked really, really hard being an impact and all over the place, working all over the world, reinventing himself and just like, hey, uh, I am not the guy from three man band. I can be more than this. I can be more in a comedy job or all this kind of stuff. And that I'm closer to the chosen one stuff than I am to three man band. And he bet on himself and got rehired and took the ball and ran with it. That being said. It's almost like in basketball, or I guess uh, you're more, I am i shouldn't assume. Are you more of a soccer guy being in England? I, surprisingly, is that I'm the only Brit that will say this to you. I'm more of a basketball guy, so okay, continue good. as you were going. Okay, there we go. So then I can use this reference. So it's like if you, like there's role players and then there's LeBrons. There's the Kevin Durants. Those are the superstars. Right. Like they, you can, mac- their ceilings are higher. Drew McIntyre can work as hard as he wants. And if you're a let's just say tim hardaway jr on the mavericks you can give him an opportunity to be the lead guy or jeremy grant detroit right now he is the leading scorer in detroit detroit's the worst team in basketball he is someone that's still good he's objectively fine but he's a number four a number five he's not someone who should be leading your offense he's not someone who should be the main cog on a good team and i don't think Drew should be the main cog on a good show i think he's talented i think he can have great matches I just don't think he is all that interesting as a character. I don't think he's all that interesting as a worker. I think it's very difficult to get good feuds out of him. And I can't place my finger on exactly why that is. But there's just something missing. And it's unfortunate because he does have the look. But the whole, like, it just, there's just something out there. He's just a mid-card guy who can work big time. He can, he should have like a month or two feud mm-hmm. for the world title every year. But he should not be someone who is built as like the <laughs> not the the guy who's on the same level as Roman. Like what Roman's doing on SmackDown versus what Drew is doing on uh, Raw is just night and day. And it's just Roman has it and Drew doesn't. It's he's become a kind of interesting case study for that. Like you know, it's it's not the easiest thing to point to when you're talking about pro wrestling and conversation about anything, but. He's kind of a guy who, to me, lacks that, like, special ingredient, right? You know, that always frame it as the it factor, whatever you want to call it. But he's a good example of how wrestling isn't maths. You know, you can't look at a skill chart and say, this guy's a good promo, a good worker, has a great look. Why doesn't it work? It's like, 
that's just not how it works sometimes. You know, like if you compare him to, you just mentioned Roman, but if you look at opposite Roman in Kevin Owens, we both know that there's never a world in which WWE is looking at Kevin and Drew and saying, yeah, Kevin's our top baby face. But I also would say alongside that, Kevin connects with people on a yes. way, way grander scale. But because it isn't maths, it isn't about, you know, the audience doesn't sit there with a chart saying, well, his look isn't up to it. I don't care. You know, it's it just works. It's a Daniel Bryan thing. Daniel Bryan's yeah. the ultimate example of this. Exactly. Yeah. It's sometimes it's, it's not about not everything needs to be explained. Some guys just get over and Drew has historically struggled with that. I think in, the, in a major way, I think they had a month or so there at the start of last year now. Where, in fairness to Heyman, Brock, and all that, you know, whatever was going on on Raw then, for, for ups and downs, they did a good job of getting him over. I just don't know if he's that guy. I'm, I'm with you. Um, the question then becomes, Chase, what do we do on Raw if he's not the guy? Because they've got everyone else in a hole. It's very difficult. I just have AJ beat him. <laughs> I'm, I'm with that. So then My solution go... to everything is just like, I don't know how much longer AJ's got. Raw stinks, <laughs> and I enjoy yeah. heel AJ Styles, and I enjoy AJ just main eventing uh raws so just he still works at an a plus level just just put the belt on aj and let uh big jordan um interfere and him cheat his way to win and all that kind of stuff just just let aj have fun that's what i would do i'm with this i mean i think there's something to be said for if you kind of look ahead to mania aj john cena i mean that now you're on a hot okay that's one thing i don't know where what we're at with cena you know because no cena's coming like the fact that right? he he said it was mathematically impossible tells Means me he is absolutely working yeah. it and he's going to be there i mean that would be something I, my mind goes to if you if, if you know drew ends up with a sheamus non-title match and you have edge and aj as your title program i mean that's that could be something um because that's kind of a fun dream match that was like actually impossible when those guys were both you know 10 years younger so I don't know. I mean, the obvious thing, to go back to the original question, which I believe was Edge, right? <laughs> What's Edge going to do? I think my prediction would be Roman, but I would not be surprised if we see some, you know, some wackiness at the chamber, which is a very wacky match in itself based on the lineup, right? Yeah. I mean, also, why is Miz getting in all these matches? Like, what what are we doing here? Why He has the briefcase, yeah. and yet he's still popping in on all these uh, all these matches. Um, yeah, I don't really... I, I hope they do something wacky. I hope they change... Uh, they have titles change hands there, but um, I'm not holding my breath for that. Um, I don't know. Raw just needs they need more top guys. They got to move. I Balor would be such an added bonus. Undisputed Era and mm-hmm. Raw would be such an added bonus. Like they just need something else. They need something to make like SmackDown just has the it factor. It's a smart show. It it works. They know who they are. Like SmackDown knows exactly where everybody stands. And SmackDown, go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. I, I just wanted to reiterate your point there because I think it's become to to really congratulate ourselves on this Drew and Roman thing. It's the greatest achievement of Roman is that he's so great. Like everything you don't like on SmackDown means nothing because he's an actual top guy. He's a, he makes you he reminds you of what those guys feel like, right? Whereas on Raw, it's a show of a bunch of upper mid card guys. That's the real the real disconnect. But carry on. Yeah, and. He Roman like makes every segment better. So like Roman, yes, it, he you being on the screen with Roman helps you in every exactly. conceivable way. Like Apollo just being backstage talking to Roman made Apollo look like a much bigger star than he is. And it the the shows make sense week in week out. Like Adam Pierce is becoming a star <laughs> on that show um, when his microphone works to close episodes of SmackDown. But um, I don't know. Like everything Roman touches right now turns to gold and. There's just so many guys like the Kevin Owens stuff. 
it was just great and you knew kevin owens wasn't going to win but like they did everything kevin owens killed himself in the royal rumble match for them i don't think battling like drew does anything for anybody i don't think he moves the needle for anyone on raw so aj is someone and as a heel we know how good he is moves the needle for someone if you are a stale act you know what you want to do you want to work with aj styles aj styles will help you look a lot better if you want to get someone over from nxt and you want to call them up like guess what you don't want to pair them with drew that is going to be boring and doesn't help anybody. <laughs> what you do is you have the belt on AJ and you call up Adam Cole and you call up the Undisputed Era and you do that. Like that is something you could do to set the stage. Like kind of like what you did with Daniel Bryan and Adam Cole on SmackDown, which feels like forever ago, but still one of the best SmackDowns of all time. Um, I don't know. I think also what hurts Raw is Becky Lynch not being around. Like Becky Lynch just yeah. being gone, I think has been difficult for them um hopefully ray ripley with her new look appears soon because i think that will help things because the oscar stuff as great as she is just underutilized miss you like right. like whatever you want to call it just hasn't worked out there she doesn't really like it's just it's a mess raw is a mess smackdown is not smackdown is clean there's not as many wrestlers they just they know what they're doing like smackdown outside of tag team issues on both shows i think smackdown is good and also hey cesaro is getting pushed which I am all the way here for, and I hope they do something. But um, Cesaro, probably another example of someone who, like, theoretically should not work better as a babyface than Drew, but he just does, and there's yes. just something about him that yeah. just works. He's That's a great one, because he's a guy that actually got over and had the whole section and all that great stuff. Mm-hmm. And we, I mean, we know what happened. <laughs> Internally, someone said, yeah, but this one box he doesn't tick means more than the fact the crowd likes him. It's, you know, it's just... In fear of saying something as naive as professional wrestling isn't a fair system, Chase, it isn't, unfortunately, is it? You know, I mean, I think um, I don't want to go back to Raw for too, you know, too much because I think you, you're getting us on the right track. We're going to talk about stuff we like with SmackDown. But yeah. you mentioned Becky being out, and it's like, while I completely agree with you, how frustrating is it, like, how little they've done with what they had left standing? You know, like, I mean, that division, I'm not saying it's, you know, an all star team, but it's not. It shouldn't be as horrifically bad as it is, right? I mean, you still have Asuka, you have Charlotte. You should have Alexa, in theory. You kind of don't because that's, you know, a self-inflicted wound. You have these you have these kind of players around that free. And you're like, what you if we had be- Nia Jax scream about uh, <laughs> holes? Exactly. At some point, you know, it's like you could have any group of women or men. If you don't want to make it work, it's not going to work. But yes, Cesaro getting a push is a, is a big thumbs up a SmackDown. Do, I, I think we're headed to a Shinsuke Cesaro match at Mania, would be mm. my guess, which is very exciting, I think. Yeah, for sure. Um, so this is funny. I like showing wrestling to casual fans and seeing what they see because I just see wrestling through a completely different right. lens. I don't know if you do this, but I was watching the Rumble with my girlfriend and the Women's Rumble specifically, and she uh, <laughs> I, I like latched onto Naomi which I thought was very fascinating. Mm-hmm. like, she really liked Naomi. She's like, oh, she's energetic. She's fun. Her entrance is really cool. Why don't they do any, like, why doesn't she win? And I'm like, oh, that they're <laughs> not going to do that. Naomi's not going to win this match. Um, but it's interesting because Naomi, I think, has real top baby. Like, her WrestleMania moment was huge. Like, mm-hmm. Naomi should be, she's on Raw. Why are you not, like, utilizing her in a significant way? Naomi's awesome. Yeah, it's, it's, again, in fear of sound like a broken record, right? another great example of gets over. Every time she goes out, she gets over. Yes. Right? Always. In front of live crowds, they love her. 
but someone has decided that she in particular has to be a better promo or she has to be better at this or that without seeing the reality that they've just burnt years of her career now look obviously she's had issues sometimes staying healthy that happens you get like bad luck you know runs of luck but from what we kind of heard it's like she was cleared months ago and they just kind of sat there and was like well <laughs> nothing for Naomi but meanwhile here's Lacey and Lana every week you know it's I don't know it's, the, the Naomi thing's always been bizarre to me because as you said so what year was that was 2017 she had a Wrestlemania moment I want to say right that was to me was like okay now you're stuck now you're off and running now you go her reign was completely just run over by the welcoming committee staff Charlotte next thing you know she wasn't champ she's never got back there I think that is you know a real shame that she didn't even get a chance to have a, to really prove herself as champ um, it would be cool if she got back there, but I must say I have very little faith in that possibility at this point. It doesn't seem likely. No. Um, yeah, we'll we'll see. Um, who's going to be Wesley Blake's 19th tag team partner since signing with the company? I mean, it's going to be Buddy Murphy, right? He's going to go back to his first, I would assume. I mean, I would expect some kind of angle where Buddy betrays the Mysterio family and and joins with Blake. I mean, that's I don't just... hate that man. I was a big fan of that uh, that tag team back oh, in the man, day. Man, we're so on point right now. We got we got the same mind. Of course, who wouldn't be a fan of that team? That team was so wasted, Chase, on the cool guy in the NXT. Yes. they would have they would have been a great heel team in 1986. I love that act. It was a lot of fun. The hybrid 3.0. Let's do it. There you go. I mean, it's the Bunny Murphy thing. By the way, for, for as much as we praise SmackDown. What a, what a towel that has become. Right? Well, I, mean, I think do, the, that storyline sucked, so I'm okay exactly. with taking him off. Like, I'm okay with that. But, like, Murphy is just one of those guys where you're like, what? Like, how are you not finding a place? Like, there's exactly. no way to tell me that you can't just let him have a seven-minute banger. Like, that dude doesn't even have to have long matches. I mean, he's mm-hmm. had my favorite match of the last five years with Mustafa Ali, but, like, you don't even have to do that. Like, you can just give – like, he makes yeah. – he is someone who will make anybody look better by working with him. It's amazing because – if you'd have sat down a hundred professional wrestling fans and said, here's the plan. We're going to put Buddy Murphy with Rey Mysterio's door. We'd have all gone, that's a terrible idea, right? <laughs> but they do it. They watch it and they go, you know what? That wasn't a very good idea. Let's just pull him off TV. It isn't Buddy's fault, right? Like you're so right. I mean, he's such an asset to a wrestling TV show because effectively, I mean, as much as we would like him to do more, he could legitimately be just be a guy that loses those seven minute TV matches forever. Yeah. And your TV will be better for it. He's that good. But it's you like know, apparently on Ada. Yes. Just like let him put. He, like he's absolutely jacked. He knows how to work. He doesn't have to be your top guy, but he is someone who just makes your show better because there are going to be people who are like, "Holy shit, what mm-hmm. did he just do?" Yeah, and Pack. I'm intrigued as to whether or not like Pack is going to be in the next uh, the, the next pay per view title match because I agree with you. That's where I would slot him in my mind. But it seems like they're keeping him tied to Omega. Right in some form or fashion, so I'm, I'm also intrigued where that goes. But that's you know that's another topic for another pay per view, right? <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> another time for for the pack yes. question. Um, yeah, we'll we'll have to see. Um, and I just came across the Undertaker saying Roman Reigns and Drew McIntyre are two legitimately great stars. I think it's a bit now. Maybe that's what it is. It's a bit <laughs> that they uh, they all actually feel that way. Because I would just like fire you on the spot. If you were someone who was like, yeah, I think Drew and Roman are the, the same. I'd hang up on you. Like, what? No, they're not. They're not the same. Why are we lying to each other? Why, why are we doing this? Why are we just pretending? What? What is it? Why do we have to pretend about Drew McIntyre? Um, Eric Bischoff. Did you see his comments today? The the flatline yes. comments? Yeah. Interesting. Um, 
another case of is this a bit because right. i wrestling is never going to be as popular as it was in the 90s those days are never coming back and it's already hard enough to be the top wrestling program in the in the world like it's already difficult mm-hmm. there and cable cutting and all kinds of reasons as to why this is happening we know shows like they're having to like close off certain portions of the arenas because of attendance and attendance will i'm just gonna go and guess are gonna be pretty awful for the next five plus years because i don't think everyone's just naturally gonna fill back up into um inside arenas anytime soon like i just think it's gonna take a lot of time to feel that out for a lot of people um it's just it's appointment television and there's a lot of competing pieces that wasn't available there's just so many different like you can now watch new japan on roku like there's just mm-hmm. there's new things there's so many different things going on that like yes they were eventually going to plateau but i don't think they had any idea like any they didn't have any belief that they were going to break through and become like super bowl numbers <laughs> like that was not that there's no path to that like what they wanted to do is build something sustainable and where their numbers are at it seems like it's sustainable to keep this thing going for years but like <laughs> flatlining is not the right way to to posit this it's more of like yes is it close to the impact stuff on spike sure whatever but like think of how long that show ran like that is how this works is like you want to get to that point where your numbers are solid enough where the ceiling is high enough that or i should say the floor is high enough that you can make this thing work and you can have these signings you don't have to go through cuts and you can keep tnt happy like they didn't yeah. go to TNT and say we're going to pull 6.0s every week after 3 <laughs> years. Like there's the, there's no avenue. Wrestling is not that popular anymore. And it's never going to be that popular again. Yeah, I mean there's there's two things to this. I think there is a conversation to be had about certain things that AEW could change to make it more palatable as a weekly program. Now, I say this is someone that thinks it's the strongest show right now. But that's a, you know, we can get into Oh, that. no, I, I do. I agree. It's the strongest yeah. show. But the thing that amazed me with that Bischoff comment is it was in relation to TNA's numbers in 2011, okay? And I saw some people quote tweeting and having fun with, look at how much better TNA's spike viewership was. And I'm consistently amazed at the fact that people have forgotten or just you know, pretend to not remember. TNA, in terms of pay-per-view, was a consistent failure. They never convinced people to give them their money, ever. I think their highest buy rate was 60,000, which as we know, Chase, AEW has defeated multiple times over mm-hmm. within two years. Their attendance was never good because what they did was they employed certain people in creative that were so desperate to get this casual fan, the channel hopping fan, that they actually hurt the fan base that wanted to give them their money. They never had the faith of their audience. 1.5 million people would watch that show and then 20,000 buy a pay-per-view. That's pitiful. It just is, you know, because people never trusted them with their money. So lost in this conversation because Bischoff's a you know TV guy, and I get it. I understand where it's coming from. But it's just a silly comparison because in other traditional wrestling metrics, AEW has already been more successful. Could they grow more? Maybe. Probably not, to be honest, because for all the reasons you said, there's not 100 million people out there waiting to find professional wrestling on television. It just is what it is. But it's such a narrow conversation, I find. You know, people have kind of misremembered what TNA was. It's strange. It is. I, I don't know. Why can't we just be happy? Like, what? what? I, I don't think there's anything I... You know what? No, there's one thing I dislike more. Uh, I dislike talking about Drew McIntyre more 
than the ratings but that's about it like like the rating stuff and the future of it like just enjoy the product i don't care i don't care what AEW's ratings are i don't know why fans care i'm glad the nxt stuff's moving away but like i don't care the sports fans in general just caring so much about how things are doing the next day is weird to me i think the strangest one recently was like when you know the impact partnership happened or now new japan it's like to be a fan and your first response is, how does this help AEW? Man, I really think you're missing the boat there. You know, like I really, I really think you should probably try to enjoy the fact that major promotions are working together rather than worrying how it's affecting a guy that made the decision to do this in the first place. It's, it is a strange one. I get why people enjoy the kind of um, the analytical side of it. I understand it, but I think you need to be careful not to lose yourself in it for the exact reason you just mentioned. Hey, let's try to have fun with these wrestling shows, right? They are professional wrestling shows. Same with sport, wherever you're enjoying. Don't get lost in the numbers. Do not, do not. Well, this is where we'll have to to end, Joe. What uh, what can we check out from you this week on Fightful? It's actually been a busy week. So as you mentioned, thank you very much, the Distraction Podcast. I really appreciate you, you plugging out the start. It's a terrible podcast. If you want to <laughs> listen to a terrible podcast, we're waiting for you, okay? I had a big uh, Kenta feature on Fightful, you know, just check out all the guys that actually work hard on that side. I pop in and out with features, but yeah, it's all over there. I also do stuff on wrestlingwithtakes.com. But again, if you, it's only if you want terrible content, Chase. You know, don't, don't pursue me. Just if you need something to fill your time, I'm waiting for you. <laughs> there you go. Go do that. Subscribe to the Distractor Podcast. Go check out Fightful and become a select member if you are not already. It's a very good pro wrestling website and MMA stuff and all kinds of other great stuff. So just... Go do that. Joe, keep up the great work, my friend, and uh, we will talk again soon. Thank you. Cheers. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.